2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Does that bring joy to the hearts of Cub fans? It does, right? Who's the Cub fans in here? Show yourselves. Okay, Cody, Russ, Jenny, all the Cruders. It brings joy. Gavin back there. Gavin's a Cub fan back there. It brings joy to your heart. It's good news to your soul. You prayed. You longed. You heard rumors of a past victory. It happened. You finally won. It's good news to you. Okay, beloved. This is how good news works. Christians, brothers and sisters, it is finished. The enemy of our soul is defeated. Our sins, they're forgiven. Let me ask you, does it bring joy to your soul to know that? That you have peace with God? Billy Graham's first book was titled, you know what it was, George? Peace with God. Peace with God. And brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, we have peace with God this morning. That is good news. Let's pray. And then we'll be in Genesis chapter 39 for part 48 of our Genesis series. And then we'll be wrapping it up here in about, I think, five weeks. We'll be jumping to the book of Jude and then to the Gospel of John. And so we're going to have a lot of great just Bible in front of us. It's going to be fun. I'm hoping here maybe if God gives, lets me live another 30 years or so, maybe we'll get through the whole book, whole Bible together, which would be pretty cool. So we'll see. But Genesis chapter 39 today. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for good news. Thank you that in this world there are pointers to the real good news, the gospel of Jesus. And we look out and we find fans of things like baseball and we find Cubs fans. God, I, I'm a Cardinals fan, but you know what? For the sake of Cody and for the Cruders, I'm thankful for victories like that because it reminds our souls that there's joy in this world and there's joy beyond this world. That there's a past event that's greater than 2016, 1907, and the list is too long for Cardinal fans to list, but there's a list that's, there's a work that's so much better than all those championships well, as well. There's a work back 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary, and a resurrection that took place three days later, and God, we're celebratory of that work this morning. We thank you that in history, there's a historical event that really happened. It's not folklore, it's not myth, it's not made up. It's not allegorical. It really happened. Jesus, you really walked on this earth the same dirt that we walked in, that we walk in, the same trees, the same oxygen that we breathe. You breathe that oxygen. The same water that you felt, we feel that same water. The senses that we have, you walked with and you lived a perfect life. You really obeyed your heavenly Father perfectly every single day. Jesus, we thank you that you did that with an eye on us. That you did that for us. And as we get into the book of Genesis yet again, help us not to come at this and just think, oh, we've been here, this is week 48, but we've been here over a year because of random sermons here and there. Help us not to think, oh gosh, are we done yet? And as we open up your word, help us just to just savor it. God, you've spoken. And we're thankful that we're not here in the dark just talking about our ideas and what we think. We're here to hear from you. It's your word that breaks the rock. It's not my word. It's not the word of our church family here. It's your word. So we want to respond. We want to hear and we want to respond to what you have to say. Speak. Your servants are listening. Jesus, it's your name we pray. Amen. Genesis 39. 
This chapter is a little bit more comfortable for me to read to you than Genesis chapter 38. If you don't know why, read Genesis 30, chapter 38 if you were not here last week at some point this week. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1, we're going to read the whole chapter. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian for Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge because him, because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Apparently Joseph wasn't a great cook. Now Joseph, thank you, somebody, I got a snicker somewhere over here, so thank you for whoever left. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, he has had no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day... When he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in, there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me! But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home. She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me? His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison in the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, he made the Lord succeed. First, let's be reminded of the story that started in chapter 37 of Genesis, the story of Joseph. Joseph, the brother of Jacob, begin, or son of Jacob, begins to tell his brothers, his 11 brothers, about the dreams that we, he was having. He was having these dreams and that, that one day all of his brothers were going to come and bow down to him. Well, his brothers weren't all that fond of that, uh, so much so that they began to be murderous of their brother. And uh, Joseph was sent out by Jacob to go find his brothers because his brothers had been out working in the field and 
and shepherding the flock. And Joseph goes to find the brothers. And when they see him coming, they come up with a plan. Hey, we're going to kill our brother. And come up with a plan to get the garment bloody. And we're going to bring it back to Jacob. And Jacob's going to see that an animal has killed Joseph. Well, Reuben intervenes, and then Judah intervenes, and they end up selling him to a group of traveling Ishmaelites, selling him into slavery, and he goes off to serve the sentence that his brothers actually deserve. The brothers actually deserve to be judged, but Joseph was judged instead. And we find a little bit of the story today, an answer, some answers to the question, what is going to happen to Joseph? If we had never read the story, we would have left kind of on this cliffhanger in the end of chapter 37, and we would be wondering, what's going to happen? What's going to come of this boy, Joseph, the 17-year-old boy, who is crying out, pleading, please don't do this to me. His brothers send him off, and we wonder, is he just going to be a slave? Is he going to go off? Is he going to be nameless? Is he going to be doomed to death? What will happen to this Joseph? We get some answers today. And we'll get some more answers over the next 11 chapters. Something to notice about the story of Joseph that's just fascinating. There is no sin, explicit sin, in Joseph's life that is mentioned in the book of Genesis. Family life in Genesis is just, it's just havoc of sin. It's just, sin just wreaks havoc after havoc after havoc in the lives of the patriarchs. Abraham sins greatly. Isaac sins greatly. Jacob sins greatly. And yet we get no mention of the, of the, in the life of Joseph, we get no mention of explicitly of his sin. It's interesting. He shines like a diamond in contrast to every other person in the book. Now God is doing something with this character Joseph. He is pointing us, pointing us to Christ through a godly young man. And I want you to notice in this sermon specifically phrases that are going to tie this character Joseph into Jesus. It's going to point us specifically and explicitly into the life of Jesus. It's going to start painting with brush strokes. Just, okay, this here, it's starting to fill in the story of Jesus through this life that Joseph is living. And so I want you to notice these phrases. One, for instance, and this will give you a kind of a taste of what's coming. The beloved son, Joseph, now is a servant. And he's going to be empowered by the Lord who is going to be with him. And I want you to think about that. The beloved of the Father sent, incarnated, Jesus, on this earth to be a servant. Not to be served by human hands, but to serve, to wash feet. Who was in fact powered by God the Holy Spirit, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. The Lord was with him to do his work. So there's going to be these connections in the life of Joseph. In fact, these two themes that I mentioned and introduced two weeks ago uh, are going to be seen again. Number one, God's providence or his sovereignty. And number two, the gospel of Jesus. It's just going to be all over, all over this chapter. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 39, we see God's providence. Providence of purchase. Joseph is sold to the group of traveling Ishmaelites. And we find out that God is in fact doing something here because he is brought down to Egypt and then Potiphar, Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought from the Ishmaelites, bought this boy Joseph. Seems just like an innocent little verse. But it's going to position Joseph in proximity to some people of power. Later on, all the gaps that we don't see now, all the things that Joseph didn't see would begin to be clear. 
Oh, this is what God was up to. And at this point, all it seems like is, is simply a man named Potiphar buying Joseph, but there's so much more to the story. Just this simple verse has so much providence in it, bought him from the Ishmaelites and brought him down there. So now Jacob, excuse me, Joseph is in the possession of Potiphar. Got it? Potiphar now owns Joseph, a servant. He is now a servant. An officer and the guard of Pharaoh himself. And this would later prove to be the very grace of God. It's interesting that being sold into slavery would later prove to be the grace of God. That sounds messed up, but in fact, it would later prove to be just that. Look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. The beloved son now is a servant. The beloved son, he was the favorite, absolute favorite of his father Jacob now is a servant for Potiphar, and God is with him. It's fascinating that the first word after him being sold into slavery is that God, the Lord, was with Joseph. Now, I would rather be a servant in the presence of the Lord, being empowered by the Lord, than a master away from the presence of the Lord any day. Joseph had the presence of the Lord with him, and he, in fact, had became a successful man. Now, this is where we get a kingdom definition of, of success. The world defines success in so many different ways. Uh, our society and, and, uh, kind of raised a generation, my generation, that believed success was doing what you love to do in this world. Even if you were poor, if you're going to be a pauper your entire life, as long as you were doing what you loved, by golly, you've succeeded. That is nonsense, by the way. In fact, it made my generation in large part look at the starving artist in New York City, made, made, me, made us look at that person as a success, and look at the person who went into HVAC, their father's business, her doing well with a family and kids, a home, working well, working hard, loving Jesus. It made us look to the person who's in New York City doing the thing they love in poverty as the one who succeeded because they got away. They got out of this place. And it's so twisted how in this world we define success in all these just twisted up ways. And in our world, we would never define the life that Joseph is living for Potiphar as successful. Ever. And yet, the Scriptures are saying that God has made him successful in the house of Potiphar. And I would ask you, do you define your life? How do you define your life? Is it, is it defined by what the world says is successful or by what God says is successful? I find this tremendously helpful. There's all different ways to define ministry success, fatherly success, worldly success, financial success. You look at the vehicle you drive and you compare it with somebody else's vehicle that they drive. One person who has a nice vehicle in this world is looked at as, they must be successful by the vehicles that we drive. And the other person drives in with a Whatever it may be, and you think, mm, not successful. Maybe God is looking and saying, my gosh, you guys are... The kingdom way is so different. Joseph, the success. As a servant? Really? Matthew chapter 20, verse 27 and 28 says this. 
Whoever would be great among you, great. Here's greatness. This is greatness. You want to be a great man or woman? You want to be a great student? You want to be a great teenager? Godly? Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. God is showing us greatness through the life of Joseph. Who among us is willing to serve? To consider others more valuable than yourself? More significant than yourself? Who is willing to serve? While the heart cry of the people of the world is live in such a way to get people to serve you, the heart cry of the believer is how can I serve you? Not how can I get you to serve me? This world is full of people trying to get others to live their life around them to make their life easy. The Christian is out here. Carlene, how can I serve you today? How can I bring a word of encouragement to you? What can I do to help? Kurt, brother, how, how can I encourage you? How can I love you? Phil, how can I help you? How can I love you? Uh, this is the life of the Christian community, is service to one another, service to our world, to those who are around us. God is giving us a picture of what success is through the life of Joseph. Paul, or excuse me, Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph. It got his attention. Potiphar turned his eye to his servant and recognized God working in the servant. Powerful. This attention, God working in Joseph, the servant, the attention was grabbed. Potiphar's attention was focused in, and it led to Joseph's exaltation. In verse 4, we see that Joseph was given authority. Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him, and made him, he made him overseer of all of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Potiphar was so pleased that he says to Joseph, hey, all of this stuff, I just want to live a life of leisure now. You're in charge of it all. Absolutely everything, you got it. This is yours. I so trust you and so give you authority. Almost like giving all authority on heaven and earth to you, I give you authority, Joseph, over everything that is mine. Joseph, given Potiphar's house to take care of. The prize possessions of Potiphar entrusted to the servant, Joseph. Remember these themes here. Okay? Remember these themes that Joseph is pointing, God is pointing us to Jesus through the life of Joseph. Now we see the life of Joseph had impact on the life of Potiphar and his household. We see this clearly in verse 5. From that time that he made him overseer of the house, for Joseph's, or overseer of the house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field, so that he left all that he had in charge of Joseph. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, this, this theme is repeated through Genesis, where God is blessing other people because of the patriarchs. So Laban received the blessing of all of the work of Jacob, his nephew, Okay, the blessing of the Lord flowed to Laban and all of his household. The benefit of Jacob being blessed flowed to Laban. And in like manner, the blessing that was upon Joseph flowed to, for Joseph's sake, it flowed to Potiphar. Potiphar in the house 
got the benefit because they were in proximity to Joseph. Favor, blessing, peace came to that household because of this servant, Joseph. Likewise, the riches of the earth in time, not just the riches of Egypt, the riches of the earth or Potiphar's house in time, are ours based on our proximity to the true servant, the beloved of the Father, Jesus. It wasn't just Potiphar who was blessed because of Joseph. Our Joseph, Jesus, the true Joseph, Jesus, for his sake, we are blessed. The blessings of the Father just lavished upon us. In fact, he has not withheld anything from us. And in the end, there is nothing that will be withheld from his hand. See, the story is, is helping us understand the person in the work of Jesus, the way God works, true success, true blessing. Now, Joseph had been a recipient of all this grace, of all that had come to him because of Potiphar, all that had come to him from God and then the kindness of God through Potiphar. And I want you to see the restraining power of grace. The restraining power of blessing coming upon you. When blessing comes, when grace comes upon a person, it has restraining power within that person. Let me explain. Look at verse 6b down through verse 9. Now Joseph was, a handsome, was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast his eye, her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, he has had no concern about anything in this house. He has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, we find out an interesting fact about Joseph. Brad Pitt has nothing on Joseph. The Brad Pitt of the day. She was attracted to Joseph, the handsome young man. She looked at him and wanted him and began seducing him. Joseph's character begins to shine through. He refuses, which is understandable to refuse in advance one time. But notice the motive. Joseph recognized the grace that had been given to him, and because how great, because of how great he has been to me, Potiphar, I can't do this great sin. But it's interesting because Joseph recognizes that the grace shown to him by Potiphar was in fact the grace of God. He sees past Potiphar and he sees God at work. Because when he mentions who he doesn't want to sin against to Potiphar's wife. He doesn't say, I don't want to sin against Potiphar. What does he say? How could I sin against who? God. He is recognizing behind this man Potiphar is, is God. God's activity. God is at work here. He's doing something here. And in the same way, I don't want to sin against Potiphar. I'm recognizing as if I'm Joseph here, that this is God's work in my life. And how could I do this vile thing against God if all this blessing has come to me? This is Christian living. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says something powerful. This changed everything to me. If you want to turn there, you can. 
you just want to listen, you can just listen. Verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's not a universalism passage, by the way. All types of people. We could get into that later. Training us, in verse 12, here's what the grace of God that has appeared does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What does God's grace do? Does God's grace, rightly understood, empower sin? It does not. According to God's very Word, the grace of God is the believer's training regiment for godliness. When you're at your worst and you've sinned again, you know what you need to hear? You know what you need? Grace. You need to know that when you were sinning, in the very act, God looked upon you and He saw the very work of Jesus on your behalf. It's almost as if it's too good to be true. You mean God approves of me even when I'm at my worst? Because of what Christ has done. Don't tell people that. But it's the training ground, the grace of God for living godly lives. It's evidenced here in the life of Joseph. How could I sin against God? He's been so gracious to me. How could I? It's unthinkable. And it's not just once. The attack from this Jezebel comes over and over and over and over again. Day after day in verse 10 we find out that she kept coming and that she kept coming and that she kept coming. And that she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. Joseph flees temptation time and time again. This is the restraining power of grace. And so I would ask you, if you're just getting beat up by sin over and over again, you need some good vitamins and and minerals and some good just injection shots of the grace of God. This is what you don't need. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better tomorrow. You need to hear what, what Christ has done for people who are struggling. For people who are clenching their fist and are trying as hard as they can. You need to hear, it is finished. Beloved, my burden's light. Rest for your soul. Sit down. You're forgiven. And that will not lead to more and more sin. It will lead to a lifelong, slow but steady progression of walking away from sin and walking in Christ-likeness. It may feel like at times that you're crawling, that there's no growth. It may even feel like you're stepping backwards. But when you feel like you're stepping backwards, you know what you need to hear? Oh, Paul, I love you, son. You're mine. You're still in the palm of my hand. Justin, you're my boy. You're mine. You're forgiven. You need to know that the grace of God trains you to say no to sin and ungodliness. Training regiments of grace. And we see it. A clear picture of it. This 
clear picture of it. How could I sin against God? Gratitude. His innocence, Joseph's innocence, is going to be on display. His faithfulness is clear. He is going to be shown to be in the right. Persistence of this woman would pay off for her ends, but it would be at great cost to Joseph. Look at verse 11 and 12. Day by day, or but one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, fled, and got out of the house. Here's the deal. Joseph could have gotten away with it. Okay, men. Put yourself there. He could have got away with it. Nobody would have known. Integrity is not who you are in the public trying to make a name for yourself. Integrity, you guys know the saying, is who you are when nobody's, Jake said it, watching. He could have got away with it. Joseph ran. Flee sexual immorality. He did. Okay, it... The Scriptures, God is, is clearly showing us, Joseph is innocent. He's not guilty here. And the temptation is almost unimaginable. He could have got away with it. He ran. Joseph is in the right. He shouldn't receive punishment. And men, if you were there and you were Joseph... This idea in the Christian faith that still lingers so much, we think, if I, if I ran from that sort of temptation, this onslaught of temptation from this Jezebel, from the enemy, surely God would bring quick reward. Surely this faithfulness would be re rewarded almost immediately. God would somehow expose it to everybody without me having to tell, look at Joseph, he is more godly than anybody else. Surely the message that got out is the surveillance camera that was somehow shown, and it was shown that Joseph really is so godly. And he didn't have to tell everybody, that woman, she's been tempting me, and I'm so godly that I keep running away. Because godly people don't brag about their godliness, right? But we sure want to. We sure would want to if we were Joseph in this situation. <laughs> like, brother, let me tell you how strong-willed I am. Okay? The message that the world receives at first from this, talk about crushing to Joseph. What happens? His innocence is on display. Innocence is on display. Joseph would be falsely accused as a sinner. Thirteen. As soon as he saw that he had left, as soon as she saw, that he left, she left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house. She called to the man of her house, men of the household, and said to him, said to them, See how he has brought among us the Hebrew to laugh at us? He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. As soon as I heard that I had lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up the garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant 
whom you have brought among us, came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Potiphar's wife spreads throughout the household horrible slander to the men of the house and to her husband. She used Joseph's garments as evidence of Joseph's guilt, an unholy substitution from an evil woman. It's interesting when we think about garments. God would one day flip the script and the whole garment thing and declare us innocent because of the garments of righteousness given to us. That's cool. But Joseph, even though he's innocent of the matter, would be judged as a sinner. Judgment would come. Potiphar would hear this, and he would respond with vengeance. He would spare his life. Well, God would be sparing his life through this judgment, but it was a judgment nonetheless. Instead of public honor that Joseph deserved, he would get public shame. In verse 19, look with me. As soon as the master heard these words, his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him out, of the, out to the prison, the place where the king's prisoners, that's important, were confined. And he was there in prison. Yet again, Joseph is off to serve a sentence that somebody else deserved. Once again. The guilty party goes free. Her words get affirmed. She remains in proximity to the master. She stays in the house. What's Joseph thinking when the judgment comes? He did the right thing yet again. Now, for his reward, prison. (laughs) Now, modern pop Christianity says, you be faithful to the Lord, you'll never end up in prison. Hmm, interesting. If you hear hear stuff like that, just don't listen. It's not true. Sometimes you'll do the right thing and things are going to get worse. You do the right thing and things are going to get worse. But there's good news to come. In the same way, when Joseph was sold as a servant, the words, but the Lord was with Joseph, what about in prison? Would God be with Joseph in prison? Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was done in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let me state this again. I would rather have God with me in a prison cell than live in a palace with God's absence. What about you? But the Lord was with him? The sufferings, the trials that God will bring us to, He will walk with us through. A rhyme. 
You didn't accidentally get to that prison and suffering. God was with Joseph. This is our hope in suffering that we are not alone. God made Joseph succeed in prison. He was in charge of everything that happened behind bars. And this too, this also prison. Again, in popular Christianity, this is wildly controversial. This was a part of God's plans for Joseph. Prison. It was a part of God's plan for Joseph. He didn't make something good come out of prison. Prison was a part of God's plan for Joseph. It needs to be stated again. Joseph couldn't see it at the time, but for Joseph to get where God wanted him to be, this is the path he had to walk. And he wasn't alone. God was not cruel to say, here, suffer. I'm going to wait till you figure it out. Here, walk in pain, cry tears, alone. Oh no. God would not send Joseph to prison alone. He would go with him and would be with him. For God to get us where he wants us, we have to go through some stuff. We have to. The story will continue to unfold over the next 11 chapters. Next week, we're going to cover two chapters. But a couple closing statements need to be made. First, to the non-believer. And second, to the believer. First, to the non-believer. God, through the story of Joseph, is clearly pointing you to Jesus. I want you to think about this, because if this week God gives you an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, you could even open to Genesis 39 and say, here, let me tell you about Jesus. You have slanderously lived your life declaring to the world that you don't need Jesus. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You have tried to live your life on your own, under your own power, functionally declaring Jesus to be a liar. Yet, He died in the place of sinners so that sinners can have a place in the house of God. We can have garments of righteousness that declare our innocence. That's good news. And the invitation is that you would repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. And if God gives you an opportunity this week on campus, Jake, to talk about Jesus, you can go right here. You say, let me tell you about this guy, Joseph. He was falsely accused. He went to serve the sentence that he didn't deserve. And the Old Testament is telling us stories about Jesus time and time again. And this Jesus was innocent. And he was publicly exposed as a guilty one, even though he was innocent. He was reviled and slandered, spit upon, cursed. And yet he did it for sinners. For the Christian, God's plan for you includes vacations. Russ and Jenny, she just got back from a vacation. Was it fun? That was God's gift to you. Anybody else got a vacation this year? We just went to St. Louis. Had a great time. Science Center. And the zoo, we were going to go to Grant's Farm, it was closed. Why would it be closed on a Monday? But, okay, went to Grant's Farm, or went to Science Center, and the zoo had a blast. And you know what? That was from the Lord. It just really was. It was great. 
We ate some food, some good food at this place called Rooster. The portions, though, contrary to what Cody and Rachel will tell you, the portions were a little small. It's kind of like Panera. Gifts from the Lord. Vacations, trips, family days at home. Good gifts from the Lord. Fun times, laughter, joy, baby sprinkles. Men go to these things now, by the way. We all went to this dudes hanging out by a fire. It was fun. You know what else God has in your plan for you? Suffering. Hard times. Times that feel like His absence. Times that leave you confused. I don't have any other way to interpret this, God. What, what is going on? God's love for you is so, so big that includes things that you would never choose for yourself. I'm glad He loves me in a greater way than I love myself. I love myself in cushy ways, man. God loves me enough to make me into the man that He's calling me to be. God's love for us is strong enough to forge us even through fire. There's a silly version of God's so-called love in Christianity today that tells us that God does not want any of His children to suffer. It's a lie. He cares about your character and holiness and joy too much. But He promises, I'm not cruel. When I bring suffering your way, it comes from the tender heart of a father who will walk with you through it. I'm not cruel. And yeah, this is going to be tough. But I'm with you, son. I'm with you, daughter. Suffering while being in the secret arms of the Father is better. Suffering while being in the secret arms of the Father is better than prosperity without God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your kindness. Your mercy, the life of Joseph is so rich and it's so full. And there's no way to say all that's in the chapter. We could go on and on, quite literally, if we opened it up and we just began to discuss, and hopefully this will happen in small groups this week, all the different things that I missed today. Not different meanings of the text, but things I just simply didn't see in the text. There's such a richness to Your Word And God, I ask that You would just lead us now how to respond. Holy Spirit, You're the great applier of truth. You come and You bring it to each of us and it hits each of us in different ways and You know everything that's going on in our lives. So You take this Word that was preached and even as I, who sit under my own preaching, sit here, You come and You apply it and You bring comfort or You bring conviction or change. You bring balm for hurting souls. You bring thankful for the joy that we have as we walk through this door. You bring thankfulness for that. We walk through here just happy. And we hear the sermon, we just got, thank you. That I just thank you. I'm just happy. And then for those who are walking in, just, just beat up, you just bring words of comfort. So Holy Spirit, just come and bring the application points to our heart. I trust that you will. It's going to be our joy to sing. Sing, to sing. Christians get to sing. Out of gratitude. How could we not sing? How could we not vocalize what's in our heart? After we hear the truth of Your Word, how could we not 
vocalize the truth of your goodness. So help us just to respond. I trust that you will. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Amen. Would you stand?